This film doesn't make judgments. It's a movie about what this man is like and how he feels, not whether he's good or bad. He's kind of a hero in a way because he acts out his desires as an 18th century romantic might have. He doesn't sublimate. He knows the risks and he's driven to create uncertainty. Those are words from director Kara Rice on his own 1974 film, The Gambler. Face the Movies is a podcast where each month I focus on the works of a different director or cinematographer. And each week I invite a guest on to discuss the film and the artist's filmography. I'm your host, Felicia Maroney, and this is a special features episode. And these monthly bonus episodes are outside of the filmographies of the current director or cinematographer in focus. And special features came about because I want to talk to someone I love about a film either they love or I love and hopefully we both love. So quick synopsis of The Gambler is Axel Fried is a literature professor, he has a gambling vice. When he has lost all of his money, he borrows from his girlfriend, then his mother, and finally some bad guys that chase him. Despite all of this, he cannot stop gambling. Tagline for the film is, for $10,000, they'll break your arms. For $20,000, they break your legs. Axel Fried owes $44,000. The film stars James Caan as Axel Fried, Paul Sorvino as Hips, Lauren Hutton as Billy, Morris Karnofsky as A.R. Lowenthal, Jacqueline Brooks as Naomi Freed, and Burt Young as Carmine. It's written by James Toback, directed by Kyle Rice, cinematography by Victor J. Kemper, and edited by Roger Spottiswood. Today, my guest is Vinny Tucheri. I think you should recognize him from our episode on Clear from 5 to 7 during my Angus Farada series. That's a movie that if you haven't seen it yet, this is the greatest opportunity to watch it because it's pretty wildly available and i highly recommend it it's such an important watch and if you've seen it before then this is a great opportunity to listen to two people talk about it and in that episode you'll hear more about Vinny's past and how he got into cinema but before we get into that Vinny, thanks so much for coming back on the show it i appreciate an, it's it it's an honor and a pleasure there you go and we're talking about a great one today yeah so we're talking about The Gambler, 1974. But before we get into The Gambler, because I'm not going to have you reintroduce yourself, because I think people should, you know, make the effort to go back and listen to our first episode, I'd love for you to recommend two to three films that you've watched in the past couple of weeks or a little while that you think that I should watch or the listeners should watch. Yeah, sure. Um, I'll go with some of my favorite watches from November. Mm-hmm. The first one I think that you would really like. And you did actually watch it. Um, good because it has Dirk Bogart in it, and it's Ralph mm. Thomas's 1964 film "Hot Enough for June," which is oh, yeah. Dirk Bogart mm-hmm. in a weird like spy comedy, which is fun. I think that like espionage movies in the 60s, there were a ton of them, and a lot yeah. of them can just kind of fall in, under the radar. And this one was definitely under the radar. I'd never even heard of this one, so that was a pleasant surprise. I like that one. I like him a lot in general. Yeah. So him in that role was fun. So hot enough for June would definitely be one. Uh, one that you definitely didn't like was Nellie Kaplan's 1969 film, A Very Curious Girl. Which, wow. Um, Bring it right back. <laughs> I, I liked it a lot. You hated it, apparently. Yeah. Um, yeah, just a woman who weaponizes sex against the the men of her village. I've It it's very much reminds me of like a Harold Pinter play um, mm-hmm. in terms of the absurdity and awkwardness of the characters and kind of very thick satire being thrown on a very dark subject and uh you hated it but i liked <laughs> See, it a lot when, when you describe it like that and that's how i read the description because i think it was on criterion maybe it must have been last year at some point and it was leaving and i was like oh this sounds great i'll watch it I don't know. It just didn't sit well with me, but I, I appreciate the thought behind it, but I was like, this is pissing me the fuck off. So I do have interest to watch more Kaplan films because I think I did watch maybe one other one, but that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She did. I mean, I've liked everything that I've watched of her so far. So yeah, I don't know what that means, but yeah, those those two, and then uh, throw another one out there, um, Marvin and Tig, um, mm, okay. from 1985, which is John Cassavetti's acting. Oh, uh, okay. He, one of his last, I mean, 1985, so one of his last roles. Mm-hmm. 
he plays an alcoholic who befriends a young kid that's orphaned that he finds in the park. And it's just kind of like a sweet story about the two of them kind of being like a father son bond, but one is, you know, but they're not really fit for each other. Marvin and Tig. Okay. I'm going to have to add that to Wapsis if it's not already in my Wapsis. That's cool. Those are all great wrecks. Even, hey, if I don't like a film, you you shouldn't watch it. Yeah, I'm always down. I like people should make their own opinions. Like, there's a lot of movies that I really hate that people love, such as, you know, I get a lot of hate for my hate of 2001 or Blade Runner. Blade Runner's not very good. I mean, I'm with you on Blade Runner. To agree, where I'm just like, this movie pissed me off, but I can see the appeal for other people. It's not me trying to be contrarian. It's just I genuinely had zero interest while I was watching it. And I've seen it a couple times. So there's that. But um, Hot for June is great. I would have watched that only because I like to complete filmographies of actors that I really love. And Dirk Bogart is tops for me. And I watched that, I think, maybe last year for the first time. It's just so much fun. I usually have a problem with a lot of British 60s cinema that's like the comedies because I don't find them funny and I think they're too silly. But this is like the right amount of every element. And it's really because of Dirk. Mm -hmm. He keeps it grounded. He really does. He's an actor that I just really wish that people paid more attention to because he's just phenomenal. But we're here to talk about The Gambler. Mm -hmm. Carol Rice is a director in 1974. that if we're talking letterbox, it's in your top four. I know a lot of people do their top four differently. They do it the- thematically or it's monthly. They change oh, it. Mine don't change. Mine do not change either. My top is the swimmer. So I'm glad to hear the years. So you would consider this obviously a top four movie. Do you recall the first time you watched it and what your thoughts were on that first watch? Um, probably It was probably in high school. I got okay, uh, wow. you know, into... The Godfather, and then trying to discover other movies those actors made at that time. And this mm, is, okay. you know, so Pacino, Duvall, Khan, like just in that era, and saw this DVD at a store because FYE picked it up, loved it. Um, I love movies about gamblers. I think that, mm-hmm. I mean, three of my top five mo- favorite movies are about gamblers. So, yeah. or <laughs> maybe, maybe even four, I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, it's a, a topic that I love seeing on screen i like that sort of self-destructive addiction on screen not in person i don't so (laughs) but yeah but diving into james con finding this movie and realizing wow this is like his best performance in my opinion Mm -hmm. yeah no i agree i i mean if you look at my top four it's all about like self-destructive white dudes and like i love watching that in real life it's a little bit much but yeah. watching it that's like my my deal yeah i mean like it's mean streets california split the gambler popa greenwich village they're all pretty yeah. much just men destroying their lives usually with gambling as a part of the plot of the movie so it's, exactly yeah which is great i i was trying to think of i definitely didn't see it younger i think i saw it maybe three years ago for the first time and i was trying to figure out why i would have watched it i used to do thematic double bills so gambling might have been one and i was like okay mm-hmm. i heard about this one it just blew my mind i was like how have i never heard of this before and why don't people talk about this film more often and even doing the research for this episode uh you type in the gambler even in say letterbox or google and then another film called The Gambler comes up. And I was like, okay, mm-hmm. that's not like an inventive title. Like, it's whatever. And then I saw James Toback was you know, credited as a writer. And I was like, what's going on here? And it's because <laughs> he's credited as like original story writer. Mm-hmm. And it's a remake starring Mark Wahlberg that I've never heard of in my life. Didn't know that this was released or existed. And I was like, that's a lot. I don't know. Have you seen it? I wouldn't watch that. Yeah. (laughs) It's, it's, it's a remake of one of my favorite movies. I'm not going to watch it. Yeah. That's how I feel. I was just like, I probably didn't know about this for a reason. Uh, So, yeah. So because this is a special features episode and we're not necessarily focusing on the director for this episode in terms of their filmography, but 
just like quickly, have you seen other films of his? Because I was saying to you before we, you know, came on that yeah, the, I the hadn't. First one that I acknowledged him as a director for was uh, Saturday Night and Sunday Morning because my friend mm-hmm. love like loves Albert Finney, and okay. it became like he would always talk about that movie. Morgan is just like there's always like conversations about like what what a punk movie is, and I always argue mm-hmm. that if it's a, if it's about punks, it's not a punk movie. Um, okay. In my opinion, Morgan is a very punk rock movie in terms of its thematic elements, um, who the characters are, how they interact with each other. It's a very, very fun movie. Who'll Stop the Rain with Nick Nolte. I've seen that. Mm, very, very okay. Good. And I think where Carol Rice went later in his career is not really my style. So I haven't seen many of the later ones. Mm. But those first, his initial films when he was working with like Lindsay Anderson and things like that in England and really yeah. making interesting stuff yeah that those like kitchen sink you know mm-hmm. style british films are really where they excelled to be honest because i don't know I, there's a period like i was saying earlier with the 60s in, in britain where some of it becomes super silly and that's all good for some people but i don't like it <laughs> at all uh but i do like this stuff a lot so i've been I'm going to actively try and watch more of his stuff, but this is his foray into America, and I think he does it quite well. So if you're ready, I'm ready to get into The Gambler itself. Um, Get into it. You know, this is a New York City film, right? Mm. New York is very much prominent. We're not trying to pretend it's anything else. New York is very hard to pretend it's anything else because it's so, you know, visually appealing, whether it's you know, grimy looking or beautiful looking, depending on where they're situated, but it's always just going to be New York. And what I love about it is, you know, we get the characters walking or driving along streets or bridges that are, if you've been to New York or you've seen a lot of New York films, you're going to recognize. And one of the small details that I really like are their apartments because they seem very lived in. Mm-hmm. I love Billy's apartment. It looks so tiny. But it looks something that I would be like, yeah, I'll pay for that because it's probably like a prime location. Yeah. It's got little balconies. But everyone seems like they actually live in those apartments. And New York reflects Axel as a character and kind of that tough interior that he needs to have, despite the fact that he's also a professor who's very smart. But he has to have that tough interior to survive. How do you feel about the portrayal? of new york as someone who's you're from new york state Mm -hmm. and i'm sure you're very familiar with the city probably more than i am obviously how we feel about an outsider essentially portraying new york and how that translates i think it really works well for the character and the time that the movie new york city in the 70s was a completely different place than it is now yeah and it really shows like him being a part of different worlds which is sort of like his you know he's this college professor who's who's teaching Dostoevsky. He comes from money. He's well educated, mm-hmm. but he teaches at a just a city college in this in the city, uh predominantly in a, a black ghetto. Mm-hmm. And those are most most of his students are from that area. So he's this wealthy white Jewish man in this neighborhood, but he completely fits in. He yeah. you know he play he talks to the people he interacts with everyone like this is his world. And it's part of that, like different like faces that he has throughout the movie where, whether he's with his mother playing tennis, or his mother's a doctor or he's at the, or he's at his grandfather's party, things like that. Like he, he puts on the different faces, but really the whole time he's this complete degenerate that you, that's what he's hiding. So whether, whether he's playing basketball with the kids outside on the street or yeah. at the country club, you know, he's, he's, he's different. He, shifts his character all the time but like when he's uh yeah asking for the loan and he wraps the cord around the guy's neck like that's a little peak of who he actually is yeah. in that in that setting like he kind of just forgets to put up that wall at that moment mm-hmm. i think the city the city plays a part of that of him being able to adapt to different scenarios very much which also just uh in terms of the banker who's played by james woods i think yes, we all woods. want to strangle him also yes. um so, so that's a great scene, but I think it's very much that. And I think it's really well written in the way that we don't see where he comes from for a little while 
you know, we're getting bits of his personality yeah. before we even realize, oh, this man's from money and he doesn't really need to be this way. He's doing this for other reasons that we will find out or you may not find out depending on how you read the film. The basketball scene kills me. <laughs> I don't know why I'd forgotten about it, but I just love that era of New York movies where you see like a group of young black men playing basketball and a white dude comes up and he's like, yeah, let's play one-on-one. <laughs> I think it works in this movie because he's doing it for money. But sometimes it happens in films where you're like, okay, this is happening. You know, yeah. um, I just find it funny in the best way. Like, I really love that scene. And you get to see James Conn, you know, in his slacks playing basketball. Yeah, and that's <laughs> and that's also a peek into his addiction, too, because that's pretty early in the film. He's, he's $44,000 mm-hmm. in the hole and he goes up to these kids who are, you know, 10 to 20 years younger than him. He's yeah. wearing a dress shirt, slacks, and loafers, and they're wearing athletic gear. And he's like, yeah. 20 bucks. Like, yeah. That's for a dime. It's he puts up $20 to a dime. Like, it's, it's a peek into it. Like, oh, this guy is just looking for the action. Like, he's not, he, like, he does have talent. He can play basketball, but he's not going to win this scenario at all. And he yeah. knows. That which he he talks about that too is that oh yeah it's knowing and and it's the whole story when he's talking about uncertainty and that's the thrill of it is mm-hmm. um when he's comparing it to Dostoevsky who's the story's based on a story by Dostoevsky that uncertainty and that's where he loves but you don't really realize the extent of it you just think like okay this guy is a teacher and he gambles like that's but it's far deeper than that it's more about how self-destructive he is it's exactly that and i think that it's a character that we can get into it also later that you can kind of understand even though you may not ever find yourself in that situation of just being like sometimes you're so comfortable that you're bored and you want that thrill and it's very much him because even the servino character hips is just like you don't need to be doing this like you could stop and axel's like i know i could but it's you know there's no juice Mm -hmm. is what he says behind playing it safe which is where you get that divide but before we even get into that what i noticed a lot on this rewatch was the camera work in this so cinematography is by victor j kemper who did a lot of great films you know, namely something like Dog Day Afternoon, Mike, uh, Mikey and Nikki. He did um, Husbands, Friends of Eddie Coyle. And another banger, in my opinion, would <laughs> be Jingle All the Way. He also shot that. His work on this film and alongside the camera operator is really good. What I noticed a lot that the camera follows Axel wherever he goes. And I don't know if I'm reading into it, but whenever there's another ca- uh, character in in focus during that scene or they're speaking the camera's very still and when axel comes into play because he's basically in every scene so it's very rare that he's not you know in the same scene but when axel's on scene the camera moves quite a bit even if he's like walking from one end to his classroom to the next or following his every move or following him as he moves and if he's still then the camera's still and I only know this is because there's one scene between him and hips who's played by a pulsar right now and Servino is on the phone yelling in Italian to someone. And fake Italian. Very much. I loved him. I but he says but he says that it's fake Italian. Yeah. Goes, <laughs> I was like, Sounds Italian. Starting <laughs> I mean, I was scared and I was like, I'm pretty sure those are not real words that you say. <laughs> but the camera does this weird oscillating thing around him in that scene. And I was like, that's interesting that the camera's focusing on him in that way. And I was like, oh no, the camera's getting back to where Axel is because Axel's behind him and we need to focus on him because Axel is in his own world. He only views himself and everyone else is just Mm. a side character in his world. I don't know if I'm reading into that. You can tell me you're reading into this too much, but I felt like this is Axel's world and we need to be on him at all times or else we get lost because he is so far removed from everyone else in his life. I don't know how you feel about the camera work. Anyway. Yeah, I, I I do agree Like that the way that the camera interacts with Axel is how we're supposed to interact with him. Mm-hmm. And especially, I think that I, the camera work is very hectic in some scenes yep. when, he, when his anxiety is up. And then there's scenes mm-hmm. where 
he's sitting and talking to someone and it's completely still it's serene and then or like he'll be up like he'll after he makes the money and they're in bed it's completely still and the bookie shows up and it's complete chaos again yeah and, and and i think that that is definitely being used as a tool i mean that, that cinematographer if you're, if you're looking at those films a lot of those are great city movies but they're mm-hmm. also like anxiety movies with Mikey and Nikki and the friends of Eddie Coyle. Like these are, these are movies that are about anxiety. Um, and yeah. this movie is like, if you have bad anxiety, the gambler might not be a great movie for you. Yeah. Or it could be a great movie for you because you're going to get very anxious watching these decisions that he's making. But yeah, the camera, I feel like the camera stops every once in a while when he is in that place, but because of who he is, it gets going again. You know, there's very few still moments because he's not, he seems very calm on the exterior. It's due to his character, but also James Conn just being super cool. But it's very chaotic what he's going through. And even what a scene that I really love is near the beginning. He's lost all this money. He's talking to hips and it flashes between him driving his car home Mm -hmm. after that. And between his conversation between him and Hibson, he's like, do you realize what you've done? How much money you've lost and you owe? And it's very dramatic, the flashing back and forth. And he's just so cool and being like, yeah, don't worry, I'll get it. And you're like, "Mm, okay, I, you know, this is a lot. And then you find out he's a professor and then you find out that he's from money. And there's very few still scenes. It's like when he's talking to his mother at the table after they played a round of tennis, it's very still there because he's like, this is a serious moment where I'm like, I might need 10,000. I don't know, but I'll let you know if I do. I just need you to reassure me that I could get it if I need it. So it's very chaotic movie. I was stressed the first time I watched it and I was even stressed on this one where I was like, man, mm-hmm. this is a lot. I'm so glad that gambling is not part of my life because mm-hmm. It just seems like a very stressful. And I think even maybe a gambler would be like, dude, just take it, just take this win and relax for a bit. But he just won't because there's no reason for him to. Yeah. In the end. And, and that's where gambling, like, it's so easy to be a gambler to being like a gambling addict. Like, I, I gamble, mm-hmm. but I don't, but I'm, I have no, I don't have an addictive personality. Mm-hmm. So, like, I haven't gambled in a long time, but I will gamble. Yeah. Whereas, like, somebody like my father would gamble every single day. Yeah. And, you know, go through tons and tons of money just gambling. Like that's, that's the difference in addiction. And the, the, yeah. one of the things that play into um, Axel's addiction is he doesn't ask his mom for 44,000. Mm-hmm. He asks her for 10,000 so that he can gamble to try to win back more than 44,000. Yeah. So he's not, he's not looking for a solution. He's looking to just feed the addiction. And, yeah. I, and, and it's the part that his family doesn't really know about it until like this, this time it got, got too far. Because I mean, forty four thousand dollars, especially in nineteen seven, like in the early seventies, that's insane amount of money. Yeah. Um, so his family doesn't even know, and like even when he's talking to his grandfather, who's very wealthy, mm-hmm. um, he says, "I'm not going to help you." Blah, blah blah blah. And then before he leaves, he goes, "Well, I can help you if you want me to help you." Essentially, like yeah, he just wanted to, and he, he's like, "No, he, he'd rather he would rather keep gambling than to pay his debts and stop." And that's we see that throughout. That's that's how the whole movie goes. He could be done very early in the film. He could have been done, Um, Mm -hmm. but he keeps going like he keeps going, going, digging the hole again. But uh, that's just that's who he is. So even when he does get the 44 from his mother and that's such a heartbreaking scene when she has to go to the bank and, Mm -hmm. you know, she just looks so stressed and she's so disappointed. But she keeps saying, you know, what are they going to do to you? You know, if you don't give them this money, what's going to happen? And he just. He gives a very low-key answer of what's going to happen to him. But then he immediately is like, okay, let's go to Vegas. It's like, you know, your mother just, <laughs> it just ruined your mother's life, giving you this money. Not if you wanted it for something other than this, I'm sure she would have given it to you. But he goes to Vegas. He also, out before that, bets a bunch of money on basketball games that he's so confident is going to win. And it just doesn't. And he just keeps losing and losing. He'll come up and he comes down and goes up. And that's just the high for him. It's just the the improbability of everything. To the point where you're like, does this man care if he lives or dies at this point? And as we get closer to the ending, I'm sure we'll talk about that too. But what I really like, because we kind of talked about the editing and the cutting between scenes. And there's a few scenes, even when 
he's in Vegas and we get the really beautiful shot where he's standing over the mm-hmm. the table of some sorts and the lights are flashing behind him and it's cutting between him there being like, I'm making a huge bet that could totally fuck me over. And then him dancing with his mother. And it's just that du- duality to show us that he knows exactly what he's doing. It's not like he just straight up is so far removed from it that he doesn't know. He does know. It's just that he is at the forefront and he only cares about himself. Mm-hmm. So I really like the editing in, in this movie a lot in terms of, of that. But I also like the way it's shot, especially the, the scene with the grandfather and it's the grandfather's birthday. You have the whole crowd there. It's shot very much like an Italian crime film of mm-hmm. 60s. And just the coloring, the yellow coloring, seems like it could be, you know, Sicily somewhere. I think it's also because the director is European, where they get that European sensibility of the way it's shot. Because I don't, I can't think of many American films, crime films of that era, even someone like a Scorsese who's shooting like this. There's something different that seems, I don't know, I, if I'm just seeing something on my end, but I just like, this seems different visually than other films I would have seen of that era. Well, he was, I feel like it's, it's looks like a mix between a studio film and like an independent mm-hmm. art house film. Cause it's like, if Cassavetes had a budget, like yeah. that kind of, you know what I mean? Like that. Oh yeah. Cause like uh, killing, killing a Chinese bookie um, thematically similar mm-hmm. to a point. Uh, but that sort of look, is what they're doing with this, but it's a Paramount film. This is a movie with a budget with stars. And it, I feel like there's a heart to it, to Mm -hmm. the piece where they really wanted to make this story as good as possible. And I don't think that this is why this is like one of my few five-star films on letterbox. Like I, I don't think there's any flaws in this movie. Um, Yeah. It's everyone is just given their best from technically and in terms of the talent it's just flawless and what carol rice was able to do in a genre that he hadn't really worked in 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 america in a hollywood picture Mm -hmm. and to make this end product i think is one of the that's why it's one of my favorite movies of all time it's just wild to me because do you i assume you probably own it on blu-ray dvd is there a blu-ray release of this movie? there are uh, imprint films uh from australia oh, okay. put it out. that's the one that i have I, I still have the american dvd as well mm-hmm. okay because i was looking and i was like it's it's wild that i don't own it but i didn't realize imprint has it yeah, so it was one of the first go. releases that's my all right was I it? yeah i'm like i guess i'll start buying imprint movies because yeah out the gambler. <laughs> i don't think i have any imprint yet another thing i really want to talk about is the score of this yeah. film. I love it because it's it comes across quite often as like you're watching a sports film mm-hmm. and there's sports involved, but gambling is a sport to some people. And a lot of the time it reflects sort of that aspirational music where you're kind of cheering on the character who's there to win until it shows you that, hey, you're no longer supposed to be cheering this man on because he's too far removed but the first few 20 to 30 to 40 minutes it's very much when the score does kick in it's like oh yeah you're supposed to be you know cheering this man on because you assume that he's doing it as much as you can assume gambling uh addiction for good but then there's a shift Mm -hmm. in tone in the score and it's still somewhat the same music but it's just darkened and the shift that kind of happens after his mom gives him the money. And I found the shift really, really happens when he goes to Billy's house is now at this point, ex-girlfriend. There's no music happening in that. The music happens right after, but he goes over to her house and she at this point is like, okay, I'm done. Respectfully. So I'm done. And he's trying to get her, you know, in the mood to sleep with him. She's fully done. And he gets upset, but then he does leave. And then the music kicks in again. It starts being darker. And you see that darker tone throughout. Well, the score is is a is a Mahler um symphony. Mm-hmm. So it's not, it was, you know, it's it's a pre-existing work. Mm-hmm. 
and it also plays into that that poetry of the film like what he's talking about in his scene in his lecture scene of the poetry of Dostoevsky of the film and it is like you're following the symphony works because it's the ebbs and flows of addiction of gambling it's you're gonna win that's why you're gonna keep doing it if you just lost you wouldn't you wouldn't keep gambling but it's when you do win even if it's you spend a thousand dollars and win ten dollars when you win that ten dollars that you're back up again and and the symphony works like that because it's not just one piece it's four you know movements Mm-hmm. And and they, I think that the I love the use of instead of using like a contemporary soundtrack of yeah. using a classic symphony, I think works really well for the tone of the film that they're going for. Mm-hmm. So this isn't like a lighthearted movie. There's a few like funny moments and like dark, like darkly funny moments, like the Burt Young scene. Yeah, um, it, like it's where you're like, oh, like, oh, mm-hmm. OK, <laughs> like it gets dark very quick, but it's. There are funny moments, but it's not a comedy. This is a destructive mm-hmm. drama. And I think the way that they use the symphony for that and to do the different tones, it's it's I think it's better than if they use the soundtrack. Exactly. Because I think a lot of films of this time definitely would have used the soundtrack mm-hmm. to reflect the character's mental space at the time or status. And I think this does reflect his status in the sense that he's very highly educated. And I love that about this character. If we, before we get into the actual ending of the film, I do want to just talk about, you know, a few performances and James Conn, right off the bat, the first time you see him, he's standing quite tall. He's a very, you know, kind of domineering presence. Mm -hmm. And I've always loved him. He, I know a lot of people, I've known him from quite a few things, but uh, I guess his most famous would probably be Sonny in The Godfather. Mm-hmm. He's my favorite character in that movie, even if he's a dick. Like, I just love him. And I love James Conn. And we get him standing there, and you already kind of know, okay, this man needs business. This man, I don't know how many buttons are on a shirt, but out of 10, there's probably three of them buttoned up. Yeah, well, he has to let everyone know that he's hot. <laughs> and it works. <laughs> Yeah, It really does. And the minute I saw that, I was like, oh, okay, I'm already on board. I really mm-hmm. don't care what the rest of the movie's like. It just happens to be a great movie. But he looks fantastic in that shirt and the whole essence of him. I just think he does a great job of making you believe that this man is so troubled, but then is able to lecture on Dostoevsky at the same time. When I was in university, I went to film school, but because I was a massive nerd, I also minored in Russian literature. Mm-hmm. I did a bunch of Dostoevsky classes. And they're heavy classes. Mm-hmm. To the point where people like, friends of mine were like, you know, you probably shouldn't be taking these classes because you have to read like 700 page novels at the same time of watching a bunch of movies and writing essays. And I was just like, I really like this. But it is heavy and he's able to do it so flawlessly. And we get that scene where Billy comes to watch his lecture and he's just, he's genuinely so smart. Mm-hmm. So you see that someone who looks like they had their shit together, and then two seconds later, very much not. Yeah. And it's also what his uh, grandfather says when he meets her. And he says, she's not for you. And yeah. it's, you're, you're an educated man kind of thing. Like this, like that kind of, like how his family views him in terms mm-hmm. of his, but because they don't, they don't know, they really know who he is, but they know that he's a very bright guy. He's very passionate about about his work, but yeah, she is beneath him in terms of yeah. his social his social stature. Yeah, it's it, that first scene with him in the classroom, and you're like, oh, this guy can command a room. Like that's it. Mm-hmm. Totally get it. Like the James Cotton is a perfect casting, and he always said this is was was one of his favorite roles, like one of his yeah. best performances. And he's not wrong at all. It's he's <laughs> he's going for, it and he, I think he crushes it. And it's a shame that. It's not acknowledged as as being one of the best like character studies of the seventies. It's really weird, and I wonder if it will take for someone else to release it, where it will get some sort of traction. I think it was on Criterion because they had like a gambling series mm-hmm. on there. I'm pretty sure I probably watched this back to back with California Split for the first time, but I would have watched California Split first. And I don't know why I thought, you know, the gambler would also be somewhat of a lighthearted 
being mm. like it gets serious in California spit, but it's overall it's more of a comedy. It's a comedy, yeah. Yeah. And I was like <laughs> to the gamble, I was like, oh, this is dark. I'm glad I watched this second. Uh, because it ends on a a specific note. Um, mm. but Khan is just great and he calls for that style of you know commanding presence on screen and i know other people were wanting the role like de niro was like really championing trying Mm. to get in the role i don't think the director wanted him and i'm sure i mean de niro would have been great but it would have been a different Mm -hmm. energy yes um because they're very different actors who can command james con is cooler james con plays the cool Mm -hmm. and and not that de niro can't play cool but he's more like James Conn going from that cool, charismatic guy to complete like manic, mm-hmm. um, short fuse kind of guy. That's why this role works for him. And you saw it with mm-hmm. Sonny. You yep. saw it with Sonny and The Godfather, how he, you know, how quickly he can just switch gears yeah. like that. And, yeah. I mean, I feel like he was, from what we are hearing, quite like that in real life, too. Yeah. So. <laughs> But other performances, I really love Sorvino. I mm-hmm. I always loved him. He's always a great addition to all films. But I really, on this watch, I loved him even more. Mm-hmm. Because you see that this is someone who doesn't need to care about his client at all. And he really shouldn't. He should separate himself. No, they're himself. like friends. Yeah, they're yeah. exactly that. Yeah. And he's just so worried for this man being like, up until the last scene that he has with him, and being like, you should not go there because you're going to be hurt or killed and he just puts on a really great performance from everything that he's in he adds great energy to it and i think they work really well off each other there's one scene where they're talking and they're very close to each other and obviously Sorvino's much taller than khan (laughs) he's looking up at him but it doesn't seem demeaning it just seems like two friends having Mm -hmm. a great conversation and care about each other so i really love his performance in this a lot and you mentioned Burt Young, who so I think I would have watched this at the same time that I had finally watched all the Rocky movies. And I used to always associate with him with Polly. And Polly is like one of my least favorite characters in cinema. And it took for me to watch other films that he was in to be like, okay, I can appreciate what you have to offer. He's so good in this because he's so obviously good. a psychopath. Mm. And he's just like smiling and laughing as he's like literally <laughs> destroying someone's apartment. And threatening them physically. Do you have a favorite performance outside of cons? I honestly, I think it would be Burt Young. It's yeah, it's not a big big role, but he's you know you don't want that to end his story. Yeah, like he's he's only in one maybe two scenes technically, like but you don't want it to end. But uh, Paul Sorvino, when they're watching the game at the end, and he's just sweating, and yeah. he's like watching the game and looking at James Conn and stuff. It's so good. Like it's so good. You get everything yeah. from him without him saying very much at all in those scenes. Just him watching, just watching James Conn, watching the game, like back and forth. It's so good. And he does like, he, he tries numerous times to help James Conn throughout the film. Mm-hmm. And he's like, he's trying to warn him when things are going to happen. He's trying to give him an out ways to help. He's prolonging how long it's taking to pay the debt. Like he's getting pressure from the mob. Like it's not like it's, yeah. it's him kind of thing, but. Yeah, I, I love their relationship because it is the, the bookie and the and the gambler. Mm-hmm. But they they are they are like friends. Like when they're laughing together, and he's like, "We shouldn't be laughing about this." Yeah, like it's <laughs> like they're gonna they're gonna break your arms, kind of thing. Like we shouldn't be laughing about this, but they do. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, he's just fantastic in it, and and even just like from the, like the small characters, like uh, even like James Woods as the yeah. as the banker is good his mom and grandfather like it's just mm-hmm. really great casting and she's not old enough to be his mom but no <laughs> like like she, i think they just grade up her hair a little bit <laughs> but it's yeah one of those things but yeah it's just really good casting and it's all believable like who mm-hmm. these people are and interact even down to you know any sort of small you know mob like character that shows up and and lauren hutton is mixed in here who I've only, I think I've only ever seen her. The only thing would have been American Gigolo at mm-hmm. the top of my head. And she's great in that too. I think some actresses of the time, if they're known as being super beautiful, they're kind of not taken seriously. They're just mm-hmm. there as the eye candy. And I think she was essentially, but she does add depth to that character. It's hard 
to keep up with that much power, but I think she holds yeah. her ground when she's there and she looks great, you know, mm-hmm. you know, no complaints there. She does have quite a few really great scenes and even her final scene. I mean, I just was like really crossing my fingers. Please don't cross that line, you know, mm-hmm. because that's going to get way too dark. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not ready for that level of dark in this. Like I can handle dark, but I don't need this character to go that extra mm-hmm. step. And I'm glad he doesn't. Just great casting, overall mm. performances. And it's like, I, I know I keep saying this, but it's, it's just wild to me that this is not top of mind for people of 70s films or James Con performances in general. But if we want to talk about the ending, so at this point, he's bet on several different games, basketball games, that he's lost. He has a chance to bet on another game. And he asks his student to essentially rig it be like you don't need to lose it you just can't win by more than seven points and the student is just like even the student's just like dude like why are you like this like why are you getting yourself involved in this but because there's money involved in it for him he's like i'll do it but i don't i'm only dealing with you i don't want to talk to anyone i don't want to be you know involved in this in any sort of way don't even let them know that i agree to this essentially and it works out for him you know, he gains his money and immediately he's like, let's blow it. And he goes into some sort of, from what I can gauge, some sort of Harlem ghetto at the time. Mm-hmm. And Hips is like, don't go there. Why are you doing this? Like, you just won <laughs> after all these losses. Can you not just take it easy and we can celebrate together? And he's like, no, he takes it now to the next level. And he meets a sex worker they go up to a room and this is how you know power hungry he is like she won't take off all her clothes because of whatever reason she has and it upsets him and he's like now i'm leaving and then the pimp comes and it's like you need to give her money she brought up you, you brought her up here and we get that you know very famous or at least in my mind famous face slashing scene mm-hmm. so at this point i was like this movie's dark dark i didn't think it was gonna go that route or it was like either he makes it out or he just dies but i wasn't mm-hmm. expecting the voice you know face slashing and then to him to look in the mirror and kind of laugh it off like you know this is like a very relaxed thing for him it's like yeah okay this sounds sounds about right how do you feel about that ending and what led him to that and like his motivations behind that final act because it's quite different than the rest of it yeah when i when i first saw this movie i remember telling my friend i'm like you have to watch the ending of this movie like mm-hmm. it's it's out of it seems like it's out of nowhere but when you, but if you actually watch it you realize he he hints at it throughout the movie that oh, yeah. he is he is baiting the pimp character antonio fargus into showing up he keeps looking at the door he's he's like i he he's trying to make that gamble with his life it's either going to be he fights the pimp or the pimp kills him kind of thing. So when she slashes his face, it's that juice he gets from gambling. He got it. Like that was the, that was the thrill of it. It's he took that chance and and that, that this is what happened kind of thing. But it's also mm-hmm. like for it to end like that, it's like he hasn't, there's no, and a lot of people had problems with this. Like at, at the time, there is no redemption for his character. Yeah. Like yeah. that debt's paid but he's he's still a gambling addict like it's still that hasn't changed so for him to take that gambling to the next level whereas now he's gambling with his life and not money i love that ending i think that it's yeah it's crazy and it's very like a hectic moment it's i don't know if you've seen the movie reflections of golden eye with oh my god i it's one of my top three you okay love it so that the ending of that movie has that Mm -hmm. sort of like that manic and that and the room the the I don't know if it's a hotel, but brothel room scene yeah. reminded me, reminds me a lot of that moment mm-hmm. where it's just complete chaos for 30 seconds and him stumbling out, gushing blood from his face and everyone just sort of looking at him and he's happy. Yeah. Like he got it. Like that's, and that's, oh, I love, I love the ending of that movie. But the first time I watched it, I was like, what did I just watch? <laughs> like, what just right? happened? <laughs> I was the same way where I was, I think my jaw was like on the ground until as the credits were rolling, where I was like, I did not, I don't even, it wasn't even the, 
face flashing that shocked me. It was him looking at himself mm-hmm. and laughing and smiling that shocked me because I was like, I did not think it would go that route. But then after you think about it, and when you rewatch it, you're like, it makes total sense that mm-hmm. this would be the ending. It also doesn't make sense for him to just be like, oh, I paid off all these debts. Now I'll just, you know, turn clean because he had the money to pay off the debts like an hour ago yeah, in the movie. A few times. <laughs> and he didn't do that. <laughs> so why would he all of a sudden change? Mm-hmm. It just, that would have pissed me off if he was like, you know, we cut to five years later, he has a family. Uh, <laughs> and he's all good. This ending is very memorable whenever i describe this movie to people i try not to give too much info i'm like it has an ending that will stick with you without giving too much away because it's not a twist it's just a bit of a shocking ending yeah and you get to see james Conn and very deep you know button downs so you there's no excuse for you not to want to watch this movie but what i thought was super funny watching it this time is like people's reaction to this man one he's He's white, and they they mention it, and they're like, what are you doing in this area? Even the people in the area, they're like, what are you doing here? So to see a white man come down with his face fully slashed, like pouring out blood, mm-hmm. and he's smiling and laughing, and they're probably like, I would be afraid for my life. Like, I do yeah. not want to be around this man. It's just great. I mean, And that's all you need, you know, cut to black. Yep. We don't really get that as much anymore. There had to be some sort of explanation as to why he did this. Yeah. As opposed to just being like, people are smart enough to figure it out. And if they don't, yeah. that's fine. Yeah. Are there any parts of the film that we haven't talked about that you want to mention? I think we covered. Not yeah. scene by scene, but I think we covered the yeah. the main the main points. I think so. People should watch it. I mean, yes, I assume they sh- they've already watched it while they're listening, but they should watch it. Well, that's The Gambler. But before we fully finish i will go to the end credits sequence of the show and typically the first question is a starter film but you can answer this question i can't so if you want to give a film that you think if someone is like i really want to watch a rice film would you recommend this one to start off with i feel like um his films that i've seen Mm -hmm. are different enough where i don't know what a good starting point would be um saturday night and sunday morning if you just want to start where he started it's also probably the most like accessible in terms of okay thematic elements to it but i think go right into the gambler wouldn't be that bad it's like it's one of my favorite movies and it's you're i don't think anyone would be disappointed if you're interested in 70 cinema if you're interested in any of the actors in it if you're interested mm-hmm. in the, the, any of the thematic elements of it, I, I don't feel like you'd be disappointed in it. So I would say either Saturday Night and Sunday Morning or The Gambler for Carol Rice would be great. And then once you're more acclimated with it, something like Isadora or Morgan, which are a little bit different films. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Morgan, I definitely just added because any sort of punk element, even if it's not a pet punks or punk music, it sounds like my type of movie. And it's wild that I had heard about it before so that's gonna be top of list for me but i think anyone that i know outside of you and maybe one other friend i have a friend eugenia who's been on here before and i think we would have watched it around the same time we were talking about it we're like oh man have you seen this movie called the gambler and she was like it's fucked up yeah <laughs> we were just talking about it like, it's so weird that people haven't seen this movie mm-hmm. So we always talk about it. It's one of our, uh, she and I have this weird sensibility of a really gravitating towards movies that upset people mm-hmm. quite a bit. But this one's a great one. But what I'm more interested to hear about is your what you would pair this with if you're making mm-hmm. a double bill, what film or films you would pick and what's the reasoning, the thematic reasoning behind the pairing. Very tough. Um, yeah. because there's two ways to go with it. I can mm-hmm. go with theme or the plot. So okay. I'm actually going to give you two. Yeah. Um, one is very similar story, completely other end of the spectrum. And that's let it ride with Richard Dreyfuss. Oh, let it ride. You've never seen let it ride. Okay. No, I know. It's so embarrassing. Gambling addict. Dreyfus. It's a gambling addict that just goes on a hot streak. Um, oh. Very funny movie. Does a lot of the same with this is an addiction kind of thing. 
I like he can't help it kind of thing. It doesn't it doesn't sugarcoat it at all, but it's very it's played as a comedy. Let it ride, very similar in terms of what it's about. Um okay. but happier film. The other one is Under the Volcano. Okay. I haven't um, seen that either. Okay. Under the Volcano, uh, Albert Finney plays an alcoholic who literally yeah. can't stop drinking. Um mm. and when I first saw this movie, I, it didn't click with me. And then I watched it again and I realized the reasons for why he is the way that he is and why he goes on these binges sort of thing. And I feel like his performance in that thematically, if you run a real downer of an evening, double feature yeah. with The Gambler. <laughs> but if you don't, then let it ride. But Under the Volcano, okay. not people don't love that movie. I like that movie. Mm-hmm. But um, the, the self-destructive nature always yeah. interests me. Same. It's been on my list because it's one of the few Houston films I haven't seen yet. So it's up there. And I like Albert Finney a lot, I think. Mm-hmm. Especially early Albert Finney is just really, really great. I love films about self-destructive people. I don't, I don't know why. Like, the more messed up it is, the better. Like, I think, I'm not like, I wouldn't call myself a huge horror fan in the sense that I don't like stuff made past a certain era. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I like things that will disturb me and upset me. I don't know why. Just like it's like comforting to me to know that I'm like, well, I guess in no way, like, like being well, my life's not that bad. Yeah. Well, that's like <laughs> exactly. These, I don't. I don't have. I don't have an addictive personality. I know people do, and they struggle with addiction mm-hmm. and things like that. And that it's that sucks for them. And yeah. but for me, I get entertainment out of it because it's like I'm. You're watching the gambler. You're like, no, 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 stop right here. Like this, you're. Pay your debt, you're good. Like you can pay off your mom. Like that's fine. You do whatever. You made a mistake, yeah. but he doesn't. He just keeps going. And same with under the volcano, where you're like, no, just don't drink. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> just like, just, yeah, just don't have a drink. Like it's not that hard. Yeah, just don't drink. But it, it but that's that's not the way it is for them. No. And I, and I like and uh, something like Mean Streets or something like that, where you're going up against something for the strangest reasons. Like you're you guys are making decisions right now that are going to cost people their lives or Pope mm. Ranch village where also gambling and trying to be something you're not, but really you're just ruining your own life kind of thing mm-hmm. where, where his relationship with Eric Roberts in that movie, Mickey Rourke's relationship is ruining his life, but he just keeps going anyway. And it's that yeah. sort of like self-destructive thing where you're like, it's just fascinating to me as somebody that I don't think I have that, yeah. <laughs> that part of my personality. So to see somebody else it's like, why, why aren't they just stopping? Like you could just stop and yeah. but they can't, they can't and they keep going. They so, can't. And I love it. Yeah. That's it's, it's exactly that. In terms of like the pub of, uh, pub of Greenwich village, I watched it because so, so people I really like and admire their taste in film. I try and see what their, their favorite films. And I know that was in your top. So I finally watched it, I think last year and it was great. Loved it. Yeah. But I always love one of my favorite scenes <laughs> when eric roberts is making a huge sandwich a huge sandwich and i was like Sir, that's insane especially what he's talking about while he's making that sandwich i was like that's a lot yeah. um where do you, you realize you don't realize that at first he sits down and he just keeps the whole scene he just keeps making yeah. this giant like dagwood sandwich <laughs> like it's so good eat. yeah love it yeah i was like that's that's a time you know, that's uh, a time where that would be affordable to make your own sandwich yeah. that large. <laughs> um, but those are great pairings. I definitely have to bump those up on the list. Let it ride. I don't know why I hadn't heard about it because I love Dreyfus and I'm looking at the poster and I see the mustache. <laughs> All for it. Down for that. The ones that I went with, one, and for some reason I thought when you were going to talk about Let It Ride that you were going to, you were talking about this one, but. The first one I went with, I think it's two characters are quite similar. And one is gambling money. One is gambling with their life. They're both gambling with their life. But I thought of looking for Mr. Goodbar, Richard Brooks, 1977. They're both teachers, both people who should have their life together in some sense. If you think, you know, just because they're a teacher, they should have their life together. But they're gambling with their their themselves because they just need that extra kick. You know, they're bored with the lives that are expected of them. I think that I would watch Looking for Mr. Gavar second because that's even more yeah. of a bummer than yes. this one. Um, I don't think you can watch like maybe you or maybe you and I can watch another movie after that. But most people would be like, 
like I, the last time I saw it was last year and I saw it in a cinema in Toronto. And I don't know if you go to a lot of reps screenings, but a lot of rep screenings, people will laugh during inappropriate spots yeah, because they're just so not used to watching older films and their yeah, sensibilities are different. Exactly. And it's always just like, I've, I'd seen this movie before and I'm like, this is not funny. This part that are, but a lot of times they were laughing, but they were not laughing in the yes. last 20 minutes. It was dead silent. <laughs> and I was like, I'm glad that people knew. As it should be. This is, yeah. It was like, yeah. you could literally pin drop in the room. It's hard to follow up with that because at that point you're so drained. So you had to watch that second. Another film that I thought of was, uh, it's probably, it's, lighter than the gambler so i would probably start off with this one would be atlantic city louis mal you get them burt lancaster who's I, you know I also doesn't know when to stop movie right it's one of my it's so good i love that movie i love older burt lancaster even when he's a bit pervy i'm like yeah i'm down for it you know you can perv on me with your mustache on you know the boardwalk there but it's just great i think i definitely start with that because it's a lot lighter then mm-hmm. the, it gets a bit dark, but it's nowhere near. There's dark elements dark. to it, but it's it's a lighter yeah. film. Yeah, it's definitely yeah, a lighter he's one. He's so good in that movie. Oh my god, the joy on his. I don't want to ruin that movie, but when he does something that he's always wanted to do, and then he finally does it, he gets so excited, <laughs> and it's very funny. It's just so. I love that era. I just well, I mean, I know you know, and people who listen to this know that I love Burt Lancaster, but yes. I. <laughs> His later era may be my favorite because he, at that point, is just doing stuff that he really genuinely cares about and loves. And he is coming across as as like a real human being. And Atlantic City is just a perfect movie. No notes on that. No, he he doesn't have a down era at all. No. It's just no matter what age he is, he was putting out good stuff. The last one I thought of, which is quite similar, and I don't know why it was on this watch that it came into my mind. It's this film from 2012 called Simon Killer. I don't know if you've seen that. I've heard um, it. it stars Brady Corbett, and it's by Antonio Campos. And it's about this guy who goes to Paris after a breakup and goes kind of on a in quotes we don't know or we do know murdering rampage just because he's like i want to see what can happen mm-hmm. and he's pushing himself and i don't know why on this watch i got kind of a flashback to that film where i was like oh this is sort of the thing like who knows if axel is capable of murder if he needs to do it yes i think he is i think, yes. <laughs> I think that's probably <laughs> the next step and I think that's what that ending signals is that that's the next step of his evolution, that he's likely going to kill someone at some point in his life. So it reminded me of that. It's a movie that I know that looking back on it, I know some people really liked it. Some people hated it because kind of abrasive and a bit, I don't know, but I liked it a lot when it came out. So those are the, those are my pairings. Got it. The looking for Mr. Goodbar would be a very, a very rough night at the cinema with, with those two. It really would. But two would amazing, like... amazing performances, though. Exactly, and Goodbar is three years later, but it's still very much rooted in New York seventies mm-hmm. film. I think it would be great pairing. You kind of had to mentally prepare for it. I don't think I'd let someone. I wouldn't, I wouldn't invite in, someone. I went in blind. I went in blind on that the first time I saw it. Did you? I, yeah. Yep. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Did not know what that was where it was about. I didn't know what it was about. I just knew the title and I knew that it was mm-hmm. hard to see. And I've I found it and then I said, I need to watch this. Yeah. So I had watched it and then programmer in Toronto put it on and I was t- talking to him about it. And I was like, oh man, I really love Good Bar. And he's like, okay, I gotta put it on. And I was like, I'm curious to see how people who are going into this scene for the first time, as opposed to having seen it and they just want to mm-hmm. see it in a cinema. Yeah. I'll never forget those last 20 minutes, how quiet it was when people were leaving the cinema, they were dead silence. People were outside and it was cold because it was like December last year. And everyone's like, I got to go home now. <laughs> it was great. Great film. Diane Keaton. Gotta love her. But that's The Gambler. Carol Rice, 1974. 
I think we did a pretty good job at, hey, at this point, if you haven't watched this film and you've been listening to this, I hope that we've made you excited about it because we're both very excited about this movie. I don't know how accessible it is right now, but I think maybe, I don't know where it's, it may or may not be streaming in the States, but I hope that you find it, watch it, enjoy it, because you'll, you won't be disappointed. But thank you, Vinny, for joining me. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Pink Faces and Movies is an official podcast of the Royal Film Club. It's hosted and edited by Felicia Maroney with intro music by Lamar Walker. If you like what you heard, let us know at seeingfacesandmovies.com or send us an email at seeingfacesandmovies at gmail.com. And while you're at it, please subscribe and rate the show wherever you listen to the podcasts. 